classic playfield reproductions goes digital coin taker buys laserific multiple code updates from jjp and stern hello and welcome to pinball magazine and pinball news's free monthly audio podcast my name is jonathan houston and i'm martin ayub and we're here to discuss the pinball industry news of the past month, which would be June 2018. And what an exciting month June was. Well, yeah, in many ways, but not so much in pinball, I'd say. Well, I don't know. It's, uh, it, was a, it was a very good month for pinball shows, I would say that, um, with some great events happening around the world, but um, we can come to those a bit later. Um, let, let's start with our, our main headlines then for, for the month of June, with, with some, some recent news, actually, which um, I don't know if you want to pick up on, uh, on Classic Playfield Reproductions announcement on, uh, I think it was on Pinside, yes. uh, it may have been elsewhere, about the, their change in the business model, which really means a change in their, their production methods. Yes, they are going digital. They bought a digital printer, which apparently was quite an investment. Um, I think they even moved to a new location, but I'm not sure about that. I um, may have read that, but I'm, uh, don't quote me on that. Oh, too bad, it's already an audio. <laughs> <laughs> But um, so anyway, but but they're changing their entire business model, and the big change is that um, in previous um, uh, runs of whether it was uh, back classes, um, uh, playfield plastic sets, uh, or playfields, um, the um, the method that they were using was often uh, silk screen printing, mm. which means that they had to do uh, one color at a time, let it dry, and um, then do another color. And all the time they would they could only be working on one project uh, at the time, so they would have to um, either pre-sell a bunch of uh, items and then uh, make as many as they need, and then. Uh, sell them off and then they would be sold out again or they'd have some in stock but as soon as they are sold out and you need at least another hundred orders to um, to make it worthwhile going through all that process again setting everything up right. aligning all the screens and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and with the new printer basically they can do as little as one item of each and uh, move in between projects and everything. So um, let's say they need uh, 50 playfields of this, they can do 50 playfields and then they can do two of something else and then they can do 15 of something else and 200 of whatever. Um, so it gives them all the freedom um, to, to go around with production as they please and basically as they sell. And it also means that they have now their entire back catalog available um, again to be uh, produced. So if you if you're looking for a plastic set that that ran twelve years ago, um, you might get one now. Mm, I guess at some point they'll uh, need to. They must have some some screens which they'll need to digitize the artwork for. But also um, the exciting thing I thought from this was the possibility of doing custom designs for playfield plastics and back glasses. Right. Because it's all digital, so if you can send in your file, 
I'm not sure they'll uh, necessarily send you their originals for you to modify if you want to change a particular color or a particular feature in the artwork. Um, but if you have that artwork and you want to send it into them, I'm sure they would be able to just print a one-off or a, or a two-off version or a very short run of those and uh, to your own particular designs, which is something which could never have been done before because you obviously have to have to uh, get the whole uh, all the screens made, and that's an, uh, an incredibly uh, expensive and time-consuming process, which uh, which made that kind of um, custom project impractical in the past. Right. So um, I am curious whether they would make some files available, especially when when we're talking about playfield files, where you're working with inserts and that kind of stuff. Um, it would be helpful if they would be able to. Let's say you want to do a different theme on taxi. It would help if you would get like the the the, the correct dimensions and basically a blank with no, uh, a, a no artwork file of the taxi playfield, so you know like okay, this is where the inserts are and where yeah. I have to place mine. Because else you might end up with uh, your own version of the playfield and then the uh, inserts turn out to be misaligned. So that's mm. not something that you would want, but but. Absolutely. Uh, that uh, seems to me that's something they can easily figure out um, yeah, if the, the occasion arises. The only thing which which struck me as possible danger in all this, I mean, obviously they've they spent a lot of money, as you said, on on buying the equipment and setting up their new digital suite. Was um, I would just hope they got the the licensing deal nailed down for a good amount of time for all the all the products they're reproducing, because you wouldn't want them to spend a whole amount of money. Um, and make a big investment, sort of create a business plan that, that has this um, worked out over you know three five year time span, and then suddenly discover that their licensing deal with whoever they do their licensing with comes up for renewal one year in, and you know they're basically held over a barrel because whoever owns the license can say to them, well, no, we we want to you know massively increase the cost this time round. So I do hope they've got that nailed down. Yeah. And, um, it's interesting nothing, that you mentioned that, by the way. Happens. It's mm. in, sorry, it's interesting that you mentioned that because obviously we just saw uh, the pinball arcade lose the Belly Williams license. Yes, do we know who who they lost them to? Did they lose them to anybody or are they just too expensive now? Um, I don't know whether they lost them to anybody. All I know is that they... Um, were told that they were not to be renewed, and I'm not sure whether Scientific Games that owns mm -hmm. Williams um, have any plans to do these um, anything with those titles themselves. I also don't know whether uh, they were told this by either Scientific Games or by Planetary. Because yeah, I, that's what I was wondering. Um, I think I read somewhere that it might actually be, have been a call from Scientific Games, but Again, don't quote me on that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, we'll we'll look into that and try and find out exactly who it is who's uh, who's withdrawn those rights and, and whether they have any plan to do anything else with them. Maybe right. they're going to relicense them to somebody else. Well, there were rumours that uh, another party might um, show up with um, uh, the same titles. Um, I'm not sure, um, but so this is just a sidetrack to indicate that it is possible that um, uh, licensors redraw their license and that might be, put some people in jeopardy. It will obviously be interesting to see what uh, the Pinball Arcade will continue to do, but let's not get distracted too much and let's get back to classic playfield reproductions. 
Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think we've, we've pretty much covered all the all the advantages of all the things they can do now. Um, but certainly the future looks good for them if, if they have got the licenses. And um, it's, it's also very good for the collector community, all the, all the possibilities that opens up. So uh, so kudos to them for, for taking that, that massive step and, and uh, making the investment and uh, really doing what well. I guess they, they kind of had to do it at this stage once the technology reached the level where uh, digital printing was as good as, if not better, than silkscreen printing. And uh, although I don't know quite how that works for mirrored items, maybe they will still have to to silkscreen the uh, the uh, the mirrored layer and then digitally print on top. Um, actually, I was wondering sort of the same thing, but more for fluorized colors because I don't think um, that those are standard colors in a digital printer. Um, there are some playfields that use um, these these. Uh, fluorized uh, uh, colors like um, uh, that, that really light up in the back on in yeah. the backlight, and um, I think Party Zone um, is one of them that that had at least uh, those type of uh, of colors, uh, and uh, I can think of several electromechanical games that had them. Mm, you would think if it's available as an ink, then it should be available to be digitally printed as well as uh, screened? Um, well, they will probably know the technical details. I'm, I'm not sure whether you can fill up the printer with... Um, I think that it holds eight different colors if you want to. Right. So, mm -hmm. if that would be... If you, if you would be able to add um, a, a fluorized color uh, in one of those slots and then assign that, well... If it does, okay, well... Let's just see. But there's plenty yeah. of playfields that don't have any fluorized color, so they're good to go. Absolutely. Exciting times. Okay. And what's, what's also in there, what, what I think is also uh, very helpful in the sense that um, obviously they have, they, they have been working with all these artists that have been uh, creating this, uh, recreating this artwork. Um, while they might now be using uh, original films uh, from Planetary, if provided, still, if you're an artist and you worked on a project for God knows how long, and at, uh, um, they do one run and that's it, it's always nice to see that they are now able to print just one or two if somebody needs them, and basically all your hard work gets, uh, makes someone else happy again. Yeah, and it's available for reproduction at, at any time, yes. rather than having to, to build up a, a good-sized pre-order to make it worthwhile. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then let's move on to um, our second headline, Cointaker buying Laserific. Yeah, indeed. So, um, I guess it's due to, to health reasons by Joe, who uh, owns Laserific, or owned Laserific up until this point, but yes. he, he has sold it to Chris and Melissa at Cointaker. Right, and uh, this is not the first purchase of a company that Cointaker have done, because they also bought the um, um, uh, side mirrors. Uh, oh, uh, pimple project. side mirrors, yes. yes. Um, so I guess uh, Chris and Melissa are on a roll when it comes to um, uh, getting their hands into various um, modding markets, I would say. Well, I think they've realized, as, as um, I think most LED sellers have, that there's a finite market for replacement LEDs with uh, all, the, all the manufacturers now using LEDs in their games 
um, as they come out of the factory. There's no there's no aftermarket replacement for those, and and there won't be going forward. So they're just looking at legacy games, and you know after the big rush to replace incandescent bulbs with LEDs of various types um, over the past few years, that that's tailed off somewhat, and pretty much those who have got LEDs or want LEDs have got them, and you know, the the actual market is a lot smaller now than than it was in the past. Um, it'll it'll be ongoing, of course, but um, it's going to dwindle over over time. And uh, they they're looking for no, for other alternative income sources, which makes perfect sense for them. And obviously, they're they're sellers of games as well. And you have to say, uh, it's not all LEDs with CoinTaker. They do a lot more. Absolutely, but they've also had a, a few issues with uh, with some of the companies that they've represented yeah. in recent times. Um, I'm sure you can uh, you can imagine some of those, right? Um, so yeah, it certainly makes sense to to diversify. And uh, they go to the shows; they have a, a big stand there. And they need to have a good range of products to sell, and uh, and LEDs on their own is uh, is basically not going to cut it these days. So yeah, it makes perfect sense for them to to expand into into those other markets, right? And um, uh, well, obviously, um, I and I'm quite sure you as well wish uh, Cointaker uh, best of luck with uh, representing laserific products. Um, what I understood is that uh, they will be receiving a training from Joe, um, the, the crew at um, Cointaker, to make sure that they uh, that they make proper quality products and such. And uh, after that, Joe is. Um, slowing it down a little bit so and hopefully um that will be good for joe as well so absolutely i'm guessing that there's also a, a probably a, a a number of artists who work he or he works with or has worked with in the past to produce the artwork that uh, that goes into the uh, the various products that they sell so hopefully um chris and melissa will also be able to work with them and uh, bring their their um their quality products uh, forward and produce some some new ones as well for for new games that come out. Right. So um, this is, could be a very short episode uh, because we're already down to our third headline by, uh, by now. Well, we are down to our third headline, but we've got a lot of other things to talk about besides the headline. So let's let's move on to that that third headline, which is um, about uh, code updates from. Um, Stern, um, and just today, in fact, um, on the date of this podcast, um, there's been a, um, a fairly massive release, if, if uh, such a thing can be said, um, for The Hobbit, uh, which has made major changes to quite a few of the features in it and added a whole bunch of new features, which is very exciting. I know a lot of people have been quite quite critical of the way The Hobbit has... I wouldn't. It's not fair to say it's been sidelined in favour of more recent games, but the focus has has kind of shifted, and work has been going on in the background. and And today, it's been fairly clear exactly how much work's been going on in the background. And I think this is is probably Keith's project, um, and he's uh, made big changes to the Beast Frenzy mode, which was one of the main sticking points of the game. I think for a number of owners, in that um, basically as soon as you 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 hit all four of the pop-up beasts, you go into Beast Frenzy, and it kind of gets in the way of you doing anything else at that point because these these beasts are popping up all over the place and you're into a multi-ball, and it's very hard to progress any further through the game while that's happening. So that's all been changed now. Uh, uh, I'm curious there were adjustments how. Before, there were adjustments before to make it harder, so you had to sort of light them multiple times before they went into multi-ball. But now it's gone into different levels, so... 
Um, it's not just sort of just keep hitting everything all the time. You have to you have to compete complete certain levels. I haven't, I haven't played it with the new code because it's only just been released literally a couple of hours ago in preview form. It's not even in release form. Um, but from reading the documentation on, on what he's done, it looks very exciting. And he's added uh, there and back again wizard mode. There uh, have been a lot of changes to the way the ring button works. Uh, some things which sort of interacted with others that kind of got in the way of enjoying the game being being moved out of the way so you can do one thing at a time or you can choose exactly how you want to do it. Um, basically, it's a huge update and I think a lot of people are going to be very very pleased with, the, with what Keith's come up with on that. Um, so that's The Hobbit. Um, do you want to look at um, some of the other code from, from Stern? Well, Stern updated, uh, let's see, Star Wars is now at uh, 1.04. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is at 1.02. Iron Maiden is at 1.01. Um, trying to see if they did other uh, code updates. Uh, I think Batman was um, uh, May 31st, so that was actually the end of uh, May. But still, uh, that's not at uh, 1.0 yet, but it's 0.92. Um, but it's good to see that Stern is... Um, keeping these updates uh, coming. I mean, we've seen times in the past where people were begging for updates and nothing was happening, or it seemed that nothing was happening, let's put it like that. Um, so, yeah, Stern is on, on top of the update game, which I think is a good thing for pinball in general. Indeed, and, and Iron Maiden um, reached 1.0 as well a little while ago, so that's that's a fully featured release um, according to the to the uh, numbering convention. I think Stern would say that anything that when it reaches 1.0.0, that that is now a feature complete game, in that it contains everything that uh, the company intends to put into it. But after that point, it will be bug fixes and enhancements. To various features based on on player feedback, um, but their aim is to get to version one point zero on every game as early as possible, and and obviously preferably before production. But that's um, that's probably a, a step too far for most companies, I think, and even Stern. So, um, but the, the the fact that they get to one point zero fairly soon after. Um, is a good sign. It means that people know what the game is and and where it's going, what what the designers have in mind for it. And um, if anything else comes out after that, then that's all, all a nice bonus. Right. So um, we do have to note that um, Iron Maiden, of course, is made by a rookie team who did not have any uh, links to other games that they also had to be working on. So they could dedicate their time completely to Iron Maiden, which probably is one of the reasons why they are already at 1.0 point whatever it is. That's true, although I guess once the game is you know, on the production line, um, I'm sure they, they have another they have their second game um, lined up and ready to go, and uh, they, they are focusing on, or not focusing, then certainly working on developing that, uh, game number two straight away. Right. Um, I haven't seen any indications that Keith was already working on that, but then again, it's Stern, so they wouldn't be shouting that from the rooftops either. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, um, as a by, by the by, I think I heard somewhere that um, August is when Stern are going to be announcing their next game after Iron Maiden. 
Right, so that's going to be Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we expect it to be, yes. Yes. Uh, the George Gomez game? Yes, um, as far as we know. And uh, I think we... Sh um, well, the, the, the image of the playfield, we discussed that before, and that has been um, uh, publicly leaked in the meantime as well. I think I reported that in my... Uh, monthly newsletter last month where I actually shared the image as well. So uh, I think by now everybody uh, has seen that. Um, yeah, I think you're right. While we're on the subject of Stern, um, there has been released, um, let's call it an Iron Maiden promotional video. I wouldn't call it a making of because it's really not telling you how they made the game. It's not even telling you that the game originally uh, um, uh, was designed to be Archer. It's just mm. telling. Uh, it's all focusing on, on on hyping the Iron Maiden game, which is fine, and I can understand that. But I wouldn't call it an, a making of video. So, but Stern released that, and it's worth uh, to take a look. You can find it on their Facebook page. It is interesting because it shows you some of the people in the team, and um, quite a few of them are people that you may not have heard of before. Right. That's what happens when you have a rookie team. Mm. Yep, not rookies anymore. Well, um, and um, last month, um, Pimple Magazine had the scoop that DocScore, who was working at Chicago Gaming, was going to be working for Stern. And not only did we have the scoop, but it turned out to be true. And uh, Doc has started working at Stern. And I can tell you right now that, um, to my surprise, they are um, not... Um, hesitating introducing dog to the uh, European uh, distributors. In fact, uh, right now, uh, this week, Gary Stern and DogScore are doing a European tour where they're visiting basically Stern, all Stern's major distributors uh, in Germany, uh, Belgium, uh, the UK, I think. Uh, they're going to France, they're going to Italy. Uh, they're all over Europe, basically introducing DogScore, who is uh, probably going to be replacing Gary Stern as their um, go-to contact, or at least uh, when it comes to European trade shows, that Gary might stop attending those and that they will be talking to DogScore instead. Yeah, Doug's um, in charge. Um, I don't know if he's in charge, but maybe he's jointly in charge with Gary of uh, export sales, isn't he? Yes, he's director of export sales. So it makes sense that he would go to these foreign shows. Um, and as Gary indicated, um, or as the press release indicated, Gary might be uh, liking to stay home a little bit more and enjoying his uh, free time. <laughs> Although the press release was very, very pointed in in saying that he's not retiring, and um, well, I he, think and, he and Doug will be working together rather than Doug replacing him. Right. Well, um, I can see that uh, happening as well in the sense that Gary might be focusing more on the uh, domestic U.S. market. Um, he will still be at the company, and there's probably plenty of work for him to do over there. So, Doug will be focusing on the export stuff and uh, still teaming up with Gary wherever necessary. So um, so I don't think we see Gary Stern uh, retiring any soon, if ever at all. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I think he'll, uh, 
he'll uh, continue at, at the company until uh, they have to carry him out, I think. Yeah, I've, I've heard some people in management say that he's going to outlive each and every one of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's looking pretty good on it at the moment. I was going to say that's a, that's a compliment for Gary's her, uh, health. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I guess all the, the, the vodka and the craft beer all, uh, is good at preserving him. Well, people, if you want to grow uh, at least uh, 72 years old, that's your recipe or your diet, uh, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, not that we issue health advice and um, consult your doctor before embarking on anything like that. Right, so um, from Doug Score, who firm, uh, previously worked at uh, Chicago Gaming, it's a, a small bridge to uh, actually discuss Chicago Gaming. Um, hmm. And basically, there's no news. Yes, still no game number three announced by Chicago Gaming. Um, widely predicted to be Monster Bash, but uh, not a not a slam dunk. Um, it was meant to be announced at the Texas Pinball Festival in March, um, then was expected to be announced at Midwest Gaming Classic in, uh, was that April? April, April yes. Um, then was expected to be announced at one of the shows in June, and hasn't been. Um, all apparently because Doug Duber uh, wants to make sure, absolutely sure, that the games are 100% complete. Um, everything is working perfectly so that they are ready for sale the moment they are announced. Um, being a perfectionist in, in that regard, um, obviously in the interim, Doug Scores left, who is one of, the, one of the people who spearheaded the uh, whole remake program, um, creating a, a new line for the company. And um, whether that's had an impact on delaying the announcement, whether they need to appoint a replacement for Doug, somebody who's going to sort of be you know, out there selling the game um, to distributors as well as the home market, I don't know. But it's surprising that even at this point, um, the, the game's not been announced. But you could see that maybe with a title like that, they might now choose to wait until later in the year and head more towards the, the Christmas and the holiday markets uh, when well, it would be a great time to sell those or have those kind of t- titles in the in the home, where right. relatives and family are coming round, and uh, you want to open up your home game room, and there's a brand new game, or even give it as a gift for your uh, that that well off. Well, everybody will be uh, all manufacturers will be targeting for the holiday season, so uh, I wouldn't wait for that. But that's just uh, my thinking. Um, the, the, the rumor that I keep hearing is that they're close, and um, as soon as all the, the the everything comes together and is up to par with the the, the level that Doc uh, Duba wants it to be, then the game will be announced. So, and it shouldn't be that much longer. But let's hope I won't be eating those words in a couple. Of <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I think. Um there are plenty of other games out there now, and um, maybe the summertime is, is maybe not the time when people are looking to buy uh, games for their home room, uh, games for their home game room when they're looking to be more outside, enjoying the summer. Certainly in the northern hemisphere, maybe not in the south so much, but um, the holiday season is traditionally for home buyers the bigger time, and for operators. The, the, in the Northern Hemisphere, it's more of a spring release 
So operators can get the games into arcades and seaside locations and, and places that people go on, on vacation right. and, and play them, whereas the summer is a bit of a dead time, really, as far as game sales go. Uh, people are spending their money on their vacations and they come back, they haven't got much money there, so there's not a lot of, of sales going on at that time. By, by you know, October, sept- uh, October, November, getting on towards Christmas and New Year, People have got their money back and they're looking to buy things. So uh, it makes sense at that time. Maybe maybe it'll be an expo reveal. Maybe maybe Rob Burks uh, had a word with, with Doug and uh, got him to do an exclusive reveal at expo. Who knows? Well, um, I don't know how much the longer they can keep running uh, Attack from Mars. Um, obviously, uh, Pinball is not the only product that they're making because there are also Churchill cabinets. So they, they, uh, it's not that those people uh, working on the production line of Pinball uh, don't have anything else to do. Uh, they are, they're easily directed into a different department if, if necessary. But um, with, well, this is obviously looking at it from an operator's point of view. Um, if they would come out with um, a game like a Monster Bash, um, operators still might want to be tempted to to get a game as soon as possible and put it on location because they might still get one, two, three more uh, months of um, uh, holiday revenue as soon as the game uh, becomes available. So, um, but then there would be they would be targeting at operators mostly because, like you said, the uh, the home users might give it a few more uh, months and then order. So. Yeah, I think so. It's but then again, there's also always there's no the, great rush, is there? That's the thing. Well, th- but there will be the 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 limited edition, which is obviously going to sell out instantly if people like the title and what extras come with the game. So mm. in that sense. Um, they could start uh, once they start production. Uh, they can start building those games, and, and the, the 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 more less limited uh, uh, games will come off the line later anyway. So true, but we well, again we don't know exactly what um, what's going on at the company in terms of other projects that they're working on. They might be making a you know, I have a really big run of, of cabinets and uh, be making games for I don't know like Raw Thrills or something like that. Uh, which might take up all their development time at the moment. They might not have enough enough staff, or don't want to, or resources, or don't want to employ more people in order just to to make um, some their, their third game. So you know, maybe they're they're planning it perfectly as far as their production schedules go. So uh, okay. we, we, anyway, we'll, the, but the upshot is there's no particular news this time, and um, we will see uh, the game when they decide to announce it. And it took you 15 minutes to discuss all that. Yeah, we need to discuss nothing. <laughs> okay, so um, then uh, um, uh, let's continue with um, other smaller or boutique uh, manufacturers. Um, mm-hmm. American Pinball. Um, well, they're working on the layout of um, game number two, which is widely rumored to be Oktoberfest. Yeah, which we've discussed in the past, as to whether that's a uh, a wise title or not. Right. Um, designer Joe Bolter um, answered a few questions at the Northwest uh, Pinball and Arcade Show in a seminar. Um, I think by now, what I understood, um, the Whitewood is mostly complete, and mm-hmm. 
Um, Josh Kugler, who is the uh, programmer at American Pinball, is now starting to um, implement the first code and that, that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, they're working on that. And um, uh, I think they might go for an expo reveal, but if the game isn't ready, then they might not. No, it was, it was um, originally thought when um, talking about Expo for this year that there might be a, even be a factory tour of American Pinball. Um, I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. I haven't heard any further details of that. It could be a nice surprise if um, Rob is able to announce that at some point. But um, it's down to the state of the development of the game and w whether they're in a position to, to show anything at that point or not because uh, obviously they have a lot of stuff in development inside the factory. They're not going to, uh, not going to want to have a bunch of uh, outsiders wandering around taking pictures. Right. Uh, particularly when they, they don't... And, and it's not a huge factory there and they are moving to a, a bigger factory, which was one of the announcements at the Northwest show. So they're moving to a factory that's three times the size of the current one. Right. So uh, maybe that wouldn't be another reason not to do a factory tour because maybe they'll be moving. Well, or, or you give everybody something to carry and then <laughs> and see what arrives with the other one and yeah. uh, how much goes in the back of uh, goes in the back. All right. Of the yeah, device. that might not be a good idea. <laughs> so unless you yeah, want to so get rid of overstock, but okay. well, that's true. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's American pinballs. Um, oh, yeah. they've also got a, a, a new distributor. Yes. Is, is that correct? Yes. They announced uh, Double Pinball in Italy as their distributor for the Italian market. Um, I'm not sure whether that's a clever move, but I guess it's their only option at this moment. Uh, moment. Stern Pinball is being distributed by Technoplay and they basically have forbidden Technoplay to carry any other brands, uh, which is a practice that Williams also used to do um, back in the days, in, in, in the 90s and even earlier. Uh, so it's not that uncommon to uh, pinball. So basically that leaves um, other manufacturers looking to like for who is going to represent my brand in a country like Italy. Um, well, one of the parties available is Double Pinball, um, who are also representing Jersey Jack Pinball and uh, Chicago Gaming. Mm. But from what I understood is that they're not ordering uh, any large quantities of games. So whether being distributed by someone who maybe orders one or two games and then ma doesn't make any sales, I'm not, well, I would, shouldn't say don't make any sales, but it's not like they're ordering them uh, by a container. At right. least that's so, what, so what I understand. So they're probably not holding a lot of stock in there. They'll probably order them as and when they get the orders in. Right. Okay. Well, that's uh, it's a it's a big investment if you want to uh, you know buy buy ten games or so from from uh, the company you're representing. Yes. Um, that's uh, probably you know uh, fifty, sixty thousand, seventy thousand dollars uh, for that that one company and stock that maybe may just be sitting there and um, have to do that for every model that comes out. It can soon get very expensive. So you can understand right. that. Well, that means that you, you need to have a good network of either operators or uh, people representing you that, that, that you can move, pass these games on or sell them. Be obviously, that's the, the whole goal of a, um, 
um, a distributor. And personally, um, having lived in Italy myself for two years, I would think that um, distributing Attack from Mars, the remake version, should not be that difficult in Italy. Um, because I remember the game was a, a very good earner on location for operators. Um, and I can see that still being the case with the uh, with the color display and all that. Uh, so um, makes me wonder, like, okay, so how come if 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 those quantities aren't there, then makes me wonder what's up. Mm, true. I also wonder whether whether what happens now is what used to happen is that um, if you know your distributor in in France needs uh, an attack from Mars, say, and they haven't got what they've sold them all, uh, they can uh, call up their fellow distributors in Belgium or Italy or or uh, or uh, Spain or whatever and say, have you got any? In which case they can, they got some spare, they can they bring the stock over uh, or even deliver it straight from the, uh, from the uh, neighboring distributor and uh, the sale going to the original um original country right. um, whether that still happens or not I don't know maybe everybody's a bit more um, out for themselves these days but certainly that was something which used to happen well I know there are companies that are actually um, combining the imports of games for Europe um, um, uh, across several distributors so it's like um, uh, obviously it's most economical to ship games a, by boat in a container, yeah, and a full prefer, container. Pre preferably a full container indeed. So if, uh, if if you have 20 games that need to go to Germany, and you have 10 that need to go to uh, uh, to France, five that go to uh, Benelux, then you want to fill the rest of that container up, which which is maybe like eight games or so, and make sure something is filling up that container and going over there and end up with a distributor. But um, I guess that's something that the manufacturer would would do. Really, they, yes. they get onto all their distributors and, and look at how many machines each one wants, and then try and try and fill a container. Right. So, um, well, American Pinball have been expanding in Europe um, uh, the, the, the past few months. They added uh, Speakerbong's Pinball Paradise in France as well, um, who did actually uh, show uh, images of the game in France um, and. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, if there is a demand for the game, then obviously, well, let them figure it out. But yeah, I think they've also added Pinball Heaven in the UK as a distributor. Okay, good for them. Which is, um, uh, I think there's a there's a or two, if not on site yet, very soon will be at um, Tilt uh, Pinball Cafe in Birmingham, which is a uh, sort of showcase for uh, Pinball Heaven, where they where they had the Hobbit. Um, and Pirates of the Caribbean. I think still got Pirates of the Caribbean and the Hobbit there. Um, for all, obviously from Jersey Jack, and um, also all the, all the latest Stern games as well. So that's a that's a good place to visit if you want to check out the latest games. Tilt Cafe in Birmingham, um, right in the centre of the city. Right. Okay. Um, I won't be in Birmingham anytime soon, but still, um, I'll keep it in mind. Well, you won't be that far away in a couple of months, will you? A couple of weeks, it is actually. Is it really? All yeah. Right. So I'll tell you about that later after the mm. show. Um, yeah, okay. No, actually, I'll, I'll be going over to the UK twice this month. I can tell you that already. So exciting times! 
Uh, apparently, yes. Um, hmm. Okay, moving on. Moving on. Um, home home pin. pin. What can we say about Home Pin? Well, what I've seen on their Facebook page, uh, I haven't talked to Mike, the owner, uh, this month. Usually we end up talking to each other at least once a month, but so far this month, not yet, but that's okay. Um, I've seen that they're basically uh, building more and more parts. Um, they started production. I think those games are either finished and they're building parts for another production run, um, or they're still building parts for the games that they are supposed to be building. So, but, so I've seen lots of pictures of um, parts being built, and uh, well, they're busy, so that's a good thing. You are indeed, and um, I was fortunate enough to actually play Thunderbirds. I was trying um, to at, get to that, yes. At the, at the Northwest Pinball Show, uh, Pinball and Arcade Show, to give it its proper name, um, they, um, on the um, Tommy Floyd stand there, um, at Nitro Pinball, they had two home, home pin Thunderbird games. Um, important to note that they're called Thunderbirds now, and not Thunderbirds are Go. Okay. I don't know whether there's any significance we can read into that change in title. Maybe, maybe the Thunderbirds are Go brand is is not going anywhere, as it were, and um, they've reversed it back to the original Thunderbirds, which obviously has a much wider spread over um, over many more years than the more recent um, Argo um, programs or shows. Um, but uh, no, I think it was very interesting to see the game, and obviously in Pinball News, uh, we had a good look inside to see exactly how it was built inside the back box, inside the cabinet, uh, under the playfield, and you can you can see all the high res pictures from our uh, our Northwest Pinball and Arcade Show report there. So, um, any it was comments? An interesting game to play. Right. Yeah, I was going to say any comments on the uh, the the build quality. Uh, mechanically, um, everything was rock solid i would say um engine mechanically engineered um almost beyond belief if you lift the playfield up and um and you're looking for something to hold the playfield in in the upright position you know an old williams bally game you'd get a little uh, get an arm on the right hand side or um, other games you'd have like a, just a little rod which would just hold up one side of the playfield, and it would sort of flex, and you'd worry about whether it's going to twist and bend and warp. Um, open up home pins, uh, Thunderbirds, and there's this massive, great stainless steel H frame, which supports the, the playfield on both sides very, very sturdily. So it's, it's it's well engineered, no question about it. And if you open the back box and take the the translite out, the speaker panel, the speaker display panel doesn't just sort of pivot down, there's a massive great hinge on the left-hand side and the whole thing swivels off over to one side. Um, you know, it's um, it's solid stuff in there. Okay. Um, the That's... only thing which, which they were kind of lacking in that game was, uh, I'd say, the, the the center ramp on the game, which is uh, which you shoot multiple times to spell out um, Thunderbirds... Uh, no, sorry, so that International Rescue, that's right, it's, it's on the back panel. Um, each shot adds a letter to it. That that was a prototype ramp, it wasn't a finished ramp at all. And um, it it's interesting, it was quite similar to um, Full Throttle when that game first came out. They had a big problems with, the, with getting the angle of the ramp just right so the ball didn't fly off it or it didn't uh, go up and hit something and lose all its momentum. Getting a nice smooth... Uh, ball travel and flow up the ramp um, 
from quite close to the flippers, you know, where they, the ball's still got a lot of momentum. It's a difficult thing to get right, and they were still working on it. So the ramps in those both those games were, were handmade, and they weren't the finished product at all. Okay. But uh, the rest of the game was, I think, pretty much uh, complete. There's, there's still stuff to do in the software, no question about it, and sounds and um, uh, sort of feedback to the players. But, um, no, very, very um, solid, robust game. And... Uh, um, it's it's a very well integrated theme. I think it looks looks very good. Okay, so um, well, compliments uh, for home of two home pin for um, uh, at least a mechanical build, and there's uh, obviously still some stuff to left to work on. And let's hope that they get to that and um, that that they will have a successful game on their hands. Hmm, I think so, and it it will be shown next at the at the UK Pinfest. In August, right. um, Mike is actually coming over to that show. I'm looking he's, forward to uh, that. I think he's. It's, that's actually, I think, another um, distributor represented. Oh, sorry, another manufacturing company represented by Pinball Heaven. Um, so I think Mike will be going off to see Phil Palmer from Pinball Heaven first, and then he'll be coming to the show, and he will be doing a seminar at uh, the UK Pinfest. Oh, that um, should be fun. And uh, you know, have some games there as well for people to play. So I think that's the first time that Mike's kind of been in a uh, certainly outside Australia um, and China, standing there, sort of telling people about his game and answering questions about it. So that'll well, be an exciting time. Va- he's been to Vancouver as well last year. Ah, right. Okay. Good point. Yeah, forgot yeah. about that. So, and um, well, since we're already discussing shows and Vancouver is rather close to Seattle, you've been to the Northwest Pinball <laughs> and Arcade Show. Yeah, as I just said, that's where I played um, um, Thunderbirds and um, it, was a, it was another great show. It was, um, it was a challenging weekend for me because I wanted to go to three shows and they were all on at the same weekend, the uh, Northwest Show. Uh, with the same weekend as the Rocky Mountain Pinball and Arcade Expo in uh, in Denver. And the Southern um, Fried, I think. And the Southern Fried Grain Room um, sh- show in uh, Atlanta. Yes, three great events. Um, probably not that big a crossover for people who like to attend a show in the US. They'll go to their nearest one. But for us international travelers, we have to, have to make a decision as to which one to go to. Um, fortunately, that's situation is eased a little bit next year because um, the Northwest show was was forced by the the venue's availability to move um, a week later than they wanted to be. They're normally the very, very first weekend in June and uh, the last couple of years they've been the second weekend in June. Well, next year they're back to the first weekend, which I think is like 31st of May, uh, 1st and 2nd of June, um, which, which keeps them a week away from Denver and Atlanta at least I think those two are still going to be the same weekend all the time um, but at least it gives us um, international visitors a chance to, to pick two of the three shows if not all uh, right. all three um, but yeah it was a very very well produced very professional um, presentation I've, they have a huge team of people working for them which I think is really impressive the number, see the number of volunteers for that show it's like Hundred and thirty people are working on that show. Wow! Um, at the end, at the end of it, they give an award. They uh, they give a, a draw um, for a, an award to, to, for the volunteers. And um, yeah, they say they've got this. I think one hundred and twenty-six. I think it was or something like that. People that uh, were up for who would 
contributed in in some way, shape, or form to uh, to making the show what it is. And uh, it was uh, it was really good fun. And um, and uh, I have to admit, I do love going to Seattle these days. It's uh, it's become a um, from being somewhere that was a little bit scary initially by um, the sort of grungy, slightly sort of dirty feel to the to the city, or I should say earthy rather than dirty. Um, it's become somewhere that once you get used to it and get really get your into the same mindset, it becomes a, a wonderful city to visit. And pinball has just you know, exploded there in, in so many ways. Uh, with so many great places to play, uh, just cr- uh, popping up all the time, and everybody there is so enthusiastic, and there's there's so so many good products coming out of there, you know, from you know, Skillshot Zine and uh, Fast Pinball there, and of course all the collectors, and of course David Teal's there, and um, some amazing EM restoration guys, and the Seattle Pinball Museum's there, and there's a uh, Shorties and. And there's just new places popping up all the time, and you know, just you could go there for for two weeks easily, and go to a different place every night, and still not cover half the places that you really want to visit. Right. So, well, it's a good thing then uh, that the next year's show is uh, a week away from uh, the Southern Fright and the um, uh, Rocky Mountain show. Right. Exactly, because you might have to spend a few more days in the states, and then you might as well spend them in Seattle. Well, that's, that's not to, uh, to to say I don't want to spend them in, in uh, Denver or Atlanta as well, because they're I'm sure, hey, certainly worth exploring, and I'm sure they have a, a wonderful selection of places. I know Denver, certainly, or Colorado in general, has uh, some amazing pinball locations um, and collectors as well. So I'd, I'd be very keen to go back there and spend time there. It's just, uh, I guess at some point, you know, we'll probably have to go back to work and uh, you know, earn, earn some money to pay for all these trips. Right, but um, but yeah, it's certainly, I would certainly recommend anybody interested in pinball to go to Seattle, and uh, you just can't go wrong there. It's, it's just, you know, it's it's a nice size city. You can stay a little way out in the centre. I was staying in Capitol Hill, which is um, quite an upscale area, and but you can walk down to anywhere in in the city in ten fifteen minutes, or you can get the you know, any of the multiple means of transport. Um, I wouldn't recommend driving downtown and then parking because that's always a nightmare. But you know, there's trains, there's subways, there's buses, there's light rail, there's you know, multiple means of getting around in the city. And uh, walking is a, is a great one as well. And uh, and then there are so many places you, you'll stumble across places on your way wherever you're going. Right. It sounds like Quantum City was modeled after Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe Emerald City. <laughs> Which is the uh, the, the nickname of uh, Seattle, right? Okay. So, um, well, um, great uh, show report also on your uh, website. So, if what people want to check out more about that show, then please do visit pinballnews.com. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, I did. Uh, was reporting live from it every day, so there's like the setup up and then uh, three days of show um, coverage. Um, and talking of shows. Um, one show we thought we weren't going to get this year, um, after such an amazing event last year, was the, the Dutch Pinball Open, right. which was held in Eindhoven at uh, the uh, Evelon, uh right. spaceship-shaped um, former Philips Museum. Yes. And the general feeling after that, I think, was that um, there was no way that the My Dutch Pinball Association... I don't understand. 
there's no way the Dutch Pimple Association, sorry, you know, Google seems to have um, taken over um, trying to answer a question I wasn't asking. Um, yeah, there's no way the Dutch Pimple Association could top that. So they weren't going to do a show this year. But uh, now apparently they are. And well, yeah, but something... they're not going to top it. <laughs> no. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. So what, what are they going to do? So, well, um, I've been a little bit uh, involved on the sidelines. Um, we actually looked at two different dates. Um, there will be the IAPA Euro show in Amsterdam in September this year. And at first we looked at whether it was possible to have, to have the Dutch Pinball open the weekend straight after the show. Because Gary Stern and Jack Guarnieri and a lot of other pinball industry insiders would be attending that event. So it would be easier for them to stay an extra few days mm -hmm. and, um, you know... Um, and then it turned out that the location that they wanted to go to was not available for that weekend. So eventually they decided then um, just stick with um, the traditional date of uh, the second weekend of November. And they're going back to uh, the Drunen location. Uh, which they used a couple of years ago and uh, when Steve Ritchie and Roger Sharp were people who were uh, attending that event. Which is actually, it's a nice location. I think they can easily hold like over a hundred, possibly even 200 games. Um, and it has its nice uh, theater room for all the seminars. Mm. Yes, I remember that. Very good. That was the Autobahn Museum, the former Automobile Museum, I should say. Yes. Yes, exactly. Right, and they moved away from there because the council were going to demolish it, I think, were they? or close it down or refurbish well, it or do something with it. Uh, they have been doing reconstruction work, and uh, one of the reasons that they couldn't use that venue in September is that the reconstruction work isn't done, but it should be done by November. So uh, that was all green lights for them to host the event there um, for uh, this year. So it's not going to be the Evolu 1, um, it's not going to be 500 games and um, one of the reasons they decided not to do that was basically most of the volunteers said like well this was a great event absolutely no, nobody disagrees with that but they're not going to do that every year because it was such a um, big toll on the volunteers I mean some people brought in over 100 games and set them up themselves so you can imagine that's not something you do as a hobby. It was was quite astonishing to see um, that that building just absolutely filled with pinballs from on every level. Um, and kudos to the not just the association but all the people who brought the games as well. I know, as you said, in over a hundred games from some people, and it was uh, it really isn't something that is possible to do every year or indeed in any way frequently. So well, it's understandable. So last year was the, um, I think, the 30th anniversary of the uh, Dutch Pin Order 25th. I am, or I'm, I lost count. Mm -hmm. not, not sure. It was some anniversary of the uh, <laughs> Dutch Pinball uh, Association. Um, so you know, they might go back there in like five years, hopefully, um, when when there is another lustrum to celebrate. Let's let's hope that will uh, happen. You know, so. Uh, yep. But it was uh, absolutely the, the most amazing location for a pinball show. 
It was, and it was almost one of those places where you, wherever you get your camera out and take a wide shot of the building, it's always going to look amazing, no matter what. It's not just the architecture, but also just seeing those, what was it, five levels above the ground floor, all packed with pinball machines from no spaces on there at all, and it just looked, you know, it, it was pinball heaven on every level, to, right. uh, to coin a phrase. Um but yeah, okay, so this year we, we've got another show, so that's good, in uh, in November. Looking forward to that. Yes. And um, talking of things Dutch, uh, yes. <laughs> if that isn't one of the worst links we've ever done, um, <laughs> there's, there's, there's some news on uh, Dutch Pimble, and um, they sent out a, a newsletter um, this week, didn't they, with some details, or maybe it was last week, with some details about what's happening with them. Yes, um, I'm going to have to be very careful with what I say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I personally was not very happy with that newsletter. And right, do, uh, do you want to, to explain what was in it? They announced the Seattle 7, which is not people from Seattle, uh, not, not seven people from Seattle, if you might think that, because it's not. Apparently, it's a phrase that is uh, originating from the Le Big Lebowski movie. Um, and the, the Seattle Seven have been brainstorming about this idea of uh, doing a GoFundMe campaign to support Dutch Pinball, either in their um, court case against their former contract manufacturer or uh, production of the games. I'm not so sure that was a clever move to announce that. I knew it was people are talking about that uh, behind the scenes, but I don't think they were in the position to actually go live with anything. And now they already announced it, and I haven't even looked at Pinside to see what the responses will be. I need to say and, and to make clear that this is not an initiative of Dutch Pinball themselves. This is actually a couple of early achievers, people who bought the game that still have faith in uh, Barry and Jaap uh, running the company and they want to help them to make sure that the games get made and that everybody gets their games and that the game will go into production and become the success it deserves it uh, to be. So um, it's not an initiative of Dutch Pinball themselves, uh, please keep that in mind. Um, but that being said, so they were announced, but they had nothing ready to go, which I think is um, poor strategy, I would call it. Right, so there's a, there's a group of uh, buyers or pre-orderers who are looking at, at putting together some, some funds to get the game made or to get the games released from ARA, either made by Zytec or released from ARA. Um, but... There's there's no suggestion that other people could join this, or there isn't a GoFundMe page yet, is there? Set no, up for people to, to join in on this. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that I think um, the main objective of the GoFundMe was not to aim at pinball enthusiasts, but more at um, Big Lebowski fans, fans of the movie. Um, and uh, the, the franchise, if you want to call it that, because there's obviously a lot of licensed products related to that movie by now. Um, so the, the idea 
would be to get people to either donate money or um, uh, well, there, there's several ideas that what you might be able to do with that. Um, but I'm not sure whether it's very either ambitious or naive to think that you would be able to to get like fifty thousand people to mm. to uh, cough up. Uh, even as little as twenty dollars, which might be just the price of three coffees in uh, uh, in the states, but still, I mean, you need a good incentive for them to do it. And um, like I said, when announcing uh, the, the Seattle Seven, um, I feel, and that's just my opinion, man, to stick with the movie. But um, I think. It should have been announced when there was a campaign ready to go, and that you yeah. tie these things together, so that that uh, that there's synergy um, that 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 helps, uh, you know. And now it was just basically like an announcement, and nothing happens. No, it was more of a, a sort of an idea, wasn't it? Floating the idea, but what they, they did have some action together, didn't they? They had a plan together to to start selling licensed products. Um, Right. Back or translites and merchandise and even a even a, a, a prototype game or playfield. Right. Is that right? Yes. They they basically created their own web shop, so they have been working on uh, on that because building a web shop is not something that you do overnight. Although some programmers might be able <laughs> to do that. Um, but again, that was something I was like. Um, there were talks with the Seattle 7 that they would be like raffling off uh, maybe translites and, and, and other stuff. Um, and I think um, uh, in my talks I talked to uh, the, the person who took the initiative in the Seattle 7 and I said like well maybe instead of raffling off translites why not just offer them to the Lewowski community themselves. Um, and before that idea could even be discussed with Dutch Pinball, they launched their own website or mm. web shop. Yeah. And um, so that's no longer an option. I'm a bachelor in communication and this kind of non-communication really mm, doesn't make me happy, let's put it like that. Mm. It's, um, I'm, 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 I'd love to put strategic plans together where you have the synergy of uh, that at a certain moment everything comes together and this is just all loose ends like oh let's do this let's do that and not look at what's happening with uh, uh, what, what someone else is working on and yeah. that's not something that I'm very supportive of. Yeah, well, I guess they're um, trying to just come up with a bunch of ideas at this stage and just trying to keep the, the show on the road and uh, do whatever they, they think they can. Right. Uh, everybody's trying to, to do whatever they, they can to, to make sure that um, the momentum continues and so. people don't don't forget about it and it doesn't just end up being uh, you know mired in legal wrangling and uh, ends up so. just going nowhere. But so. So, as you say, it's it's not a coordinated... Uh, plan. It's a bunch of ideas from various people all, all doing their own thing. Right. So, and what might actually surprise some people, I'm actually still very confident that this whole uh, Big Lebowski project could become a success. Um, the problem right now is Dutch Pinball are waiting. I don't think anybody made 
any money ever by doing nothing. <laughs> well, I think at this point, what needs to be done is the, get the production going in China. Mm. And as soon as that's going, um, then they will be able to start making money on the games that they sell. Um, I understand that they have to um, deliver these uh, 130 or 140 games to people who already pre-ordered. But there is a lot of money to be made. The only problem is there's this court case that might scare off people. And so you need to see like how can you get the production going in China without having uh, the burden of that court case um, weighing I'm in sure, on your I'm investment. I'm sure, sure there are plenty of ways of doing that by... Uh, uh, by selling the assets or um, or transferring the assets from Dutch to a company outside Holland um, for the purpose of manufacturing the game, which right. means that any court case in Holland would be you know, immaterial to the to production of the game in China. Well, um, I can only hope that behind the scenes, Dutch people are working on such a uh, construction. Yeah, absolutely. This is all speculation at this point. So yes. So, um, but I do want to say I still believe, I see lots of commercial possibilities for anybody willing to um, to step up um, because I think that well they're going to make money and I think Dutch pinball has a lot of potential. Um, certainly, Barry as a designer has shown that he can design a, uh, a great game. And I'd like to see nothing more than getting Big Lebowski into production and Barry designing a second game. Um, not the second game that they suggested themselves, <laughs> but no. uh, a, co a complete new game, because I think that uh, he certainly has the talent and uh, it would be so great to see that come to fruition. Okay, well, let's let's fingers have fingers crossed for that one. Um, another manufacturer who's looking to produce their first game um, is Phoenix Pinball, right? Based in France, we discussed um, them before. Um, we have indeed. We discussed their um, Olympic Goblin game. Yes, and um, and. Uh, you have this crystal ball. <laughs> well, it didn't give me any pleasure when I actually read the news. But yes, I, I did mention on this very podcast a while ago that I thought they might run into problems um, using the Olympic branding for um, or using the word Olympic in their title, given how uh, very carefully the International Olympic Committee looks after their assets and their rights to the Olympic branding. Um, <clears throat> and so it came to pass, apparently, um, in that they received a letter from the uh, IOC saying you can't use the word Olympic in the title of your game. So they have changed it from uh, Olympic Goblin to Goblin Contest. Oh, my um, God. So I'm not sure whether that's an improvement. Uh, well, legally it is. Um, whether, it'll, uh, whether it encapsulates the, the feel of the game. Um, we not entirely clear. We, we're thinking maybe Goblin Games might have been a good way of um, sort of working your way around well, then you have Goblin least, Challenge. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the alliteration would be Yeah, nice. alliteration's a good of Goblin Games or um, Goblin Contest. Nah, sounds a bit 
week. But that's what they've gone with at the moment, and their Facebook page um, shows the new artwork, and um, I think pretty much all references to Olympics has been taken away. I think there's one photo on their website where um, the word Olympic has been blurred out from the artwork, so you wouldn't know, but... Um, it's it's a shame, but uh, it's it's the same game. Uh, a rose by any other name, etc. Um, it's hopefully it won't damage the sales of the game too much. It's a fun, you no know, simple game, and um, best of luck to Phoenix Pinball in in, uh, in continuing it and bring it to production and then selling it. Yeah, what's actually surprising is that they stick with the same uh, artwork style, uh, which probably is, has been criticized by many um, obviously um, well it's art so um, not sure whether you can um, well you can have opinions about that but discussing them I'm not sure whether that makes um, much sense but still um, oh, well. they, they're happy with it and uh, don't want to completely re repackaged all the artwork and you can just change the title of it fairly simply. Well, the, no, but the entire backlog has changed. It's a completely new art package for the backlog. Oh, okay. Um, I'd have to admit, I can't remember what the last one looked like. We've still, still got the goblin running along holding an Olympic torch. Right. And he's uh, now in front before. of some sort of building and um, um, they have these four judges on the playfield, which are now actually uh, mentioned on the backlog as player one, two, three, and four. So that's um, they, they they brought those up to the backlog as well, which weren't there before. I don't recall those. Um, mm. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, interesting design. But uh, at the end of the day, it's it's the it's the playfield which really matters and how well the game plays. And I, mean, I think we we enjoyed playing it. It was a, it was a simple, easy to understand game. Yes. Uh, with, with realistic challenges that were quite rewarding to complete. Right. So, um, oh well, let's see how they uh, they do. But it's uh, yeah. interesting to see that um, you had, you, you called this and uh, you um, you were yeah. correct. Who'd have thought? Every now and again, I do know what I'm talking about. Right. Not very often, but so. there you go. Um, so that means that the flyers for the Olympic Goblin game will be worth a lot of money, and I'm so glad <laughs> I, I got some. <laughs> yeah, how many packs have you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I wasn't that greedy, so I don't have that many, but um, okay. I do have a few. Um, now, let's just hope that everybody starts collecting pinball flyers again. Mm. Yes, I've also forgotten art of uh, pinball flyer collecting. Right, okay. Hold on. Guess what? What? You hear that in the background? I do. Oh, no. It's not, is it? Well, you know how we talked about earlier um, to give him a certain... Uh, 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 to give him his own ringtone? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So that's what I did. Oh, wow, amazing. So no, I, I actually told him to call because I, I knew he had some really exciting news to, to give us. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's, okay. it's, 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 well, it's, I wouldn't say it's earth shattering, but it's, it's significant and, you know, it's, it's an exclusive oh. for, for our podcast here. Oh, great. So, so anyway, so I decided to give him the Clash London Calling because Gary, well, from London, okay, he may not live there anymore, but I figured that would yeah. be appropriate. So, I think you're right. Yeah. Right. So, so so let's see what he has. Who's oh. calling now, is he? Yes, let's see what he has to say. Oh, yeah. hold on. Yes. 
Oh, no, no, put him on. No, I think uh, he hung up. Oh, man. You want me to call him again? Oh, he'll call back, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, all he said was, it was, no, you really want to hear this news. And uh, he's got it first and he was willing to share it. Well, well, uh, we'll, we'll hold it over to next month, I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure it'll be, still be exclusive then. Okay, excellent. But at uh, least now you know, so Gary has got his own ringtone. Excellent. So okay, well, it's also I'll, easy I'll for me. Uh, easy for me to recognize if he's go <laughs> he's calling. If I hear the Clash London calling, and I I know I can take the dog for a walk or something. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> okay. Um, so what else do we have? We have. Well, uh, I have. Uh, I wrote a few things down that I didn't share with you yet. Um, congratulations to Spooky Pinball. Yes, indeed. For uh, their one hundredth podcast episode and not only that oh you got more well they also shipped their their first alice cooper game right as well yes so, so it's been an exciting time for them in june yes so um kudos to them um i think they shipped a couple of alice cooper games uh, by now i think uh, i saw something like number six was on the line or something um but I thought uh, doing 100 uh, monthly episodes of the podcast is, is an impressive achievement. It is pretty, pretty damn impressive. Congratulations to uh, Charlie, Katie, uh, Bug, who's taking it over now, of course. And, and, and Squirrel. Squirrel. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, everyone behind uh, the podcast and, and the uh, pinball manufacturing company. They've done an amazing job and uh, done it in a very... Modest and I don't say low key, but um, manageable and um, impressive way. So congratulations to them. Right. So and from one hundredth to another hundredth. Oh, you've been working on this. I can tell. No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this month Wayne Nyans hopes to celebrate his one hundredth birthday. July twenty ninth is the date. Of course. How could we forget? Well, I certainly couldn't. And uh, obviously, as people know, I have been working on Pimble Magazine number five. And everybody's like, when is it done? When is it done? When is it done? It's mm -hmm. not done yet. But I am over 250 pages already. Uh, so, which is basically a double up of last month. Then I had about 125. Um, there's still a lot of distractions with the situation around uh, going on with my landlord, which I won't get into too much. But um, aside from dealing with that, I was able to um, uh, to work my way through the uh, Way Ninth cover story, which is now completely uh, done. All I need to do is add a um, a couple of photo credits, and I have some intentionally leftover. Uh, spaces that I probably will fill up with uh, advertisements, small mm. advertisements for Pimble Magazine related products. So, that it so is this going to be done on by the 29th or are you going to be able to present a copy of it to, to Wayne? I will be, so the current plan is I doubt I will be done uh, by the 29th. Well, well I doubt it will be printed. I mm. think I will be yeah. done with the magazine but I don't think it will be completely printed. But... I will send over a uh, preview copy 
to Wayne um, so that he has that at his birthday. And I know there's going to be celebrations and a lot yeah. of people from the pinball community are planning to come over. So at least they can take a look at uh, what hopefully will be available next month. Fantastic. Okay. Well, we'll uh, I won't say we look forward to seeing it then because we, we won't see it then, but at least Wayne and everybody at the party will get to see it at that right. point. So it'll be a, be a wonderful 100th birthday right. uh, present for you to, you yes, to present it with. The, the, the preview will probably be um, uh, just in black and white. Um, that's the easiest to do. Um, doing a full color copy, that's going to be very expensive. Um, but as it's only a preview, I figured that would be okay. Uh, everybody who is familiar with Pinball Magazine knows that it's a uh, wonderful full-color publication. Mm, more like that, a book, from what I've heard. Yeah. And mm. um, I figured I'd send a, a preview to Wayne. And, uh, and after that, it will only get bigger, in the sense that what Wayne will get is not going to be the entire issue, I assume. And... Um, so as soon as I can, I will send over a box of magazines to Wayne so that he can um, share them with uh, with his family as well. Um, I know his daughters have indicated that they uh, are interested in a copy as well. And uh, well, let's let's look out to see if there's any any sort of means for people to send Wayne a birthday card or a birthday greeting uh, for his hundredth birthday. Um, I'm sure. Uh, that would be a, a wonderful gesture, and um, if, well, there are, if there are ways, we can we can get that published. Right. Uh, well, I did something like that last year. Um, basically, people can send their birthday wish for Wayne Nines to editor at pinball-magazine.com. I will bundle all of these and uh, uh, make sure that Wayne gets them. Wonderful. Okay. And um, if they want to send a birthday card, maybe maybe there's a way of doing that as well. Uh, wherever in the then world they, they are. better hurry because um, <laughs> I'm. Yeah. I don't think it would be uh, appreciated by Wayne if I would um, list uh, or mention his no. address on the no. podcast. Um, but if um, it might help to have somebody local in the yes, US exactly. to yeah, one of the people who were going to his birthday uh, celebration maybe could could be a yeah, sort of a collecting point. Right. That, or maybe they could be sent to I don't know somewhere like the uh, and I'm not suggesting any, this is a, this is a, a something that's been organised yet, but maybe the uh, you know, the, uh, the pinball museum uh, in Alameda right. might want to uh, organise something because I know I, I know a couple of people from there are going down right. to, to see Wayne. That's probably the best um, the best party to collect these uh, birthday wishes. But I'd say since Wayne's birthday is um, the 29th and I mm -hmm. have no idea how long it takes in American Mail to send over a card um, I'd say do this before the um, I'd say the 15th something like that yeah yeah Let's give it plenty of time anyway that's the main thing so and uh, basically send that to the uh, um, Pacific Pinball Museum. Well, uh, well, hang on, we haven't <laughs> we haven't actually even organised anything here. So yeah, okay. So uh, this we'll, is just something we'll, we're stuffed down the yeah, throats, and uh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. We'll 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 foist it on them, and they are now the official collection point, uh, yes. whether they like it or not. So we'll, by popular vote, <laughs> two against zero. That's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll find out and and, and publish details on uh, where and when um, and what deadlines there are for that uh, as soon as we possibly can. Right. 
Okay. Um, speaking of deadlines, um, the I'm trying to think what's coming up. Um, I have I mean, nothing here, so okay, I was about I've, to round up. I've, I've got a couple of tournaments which I'm organising. This very weekend is the Swayze Pinball Weekend in uh, near Cambridge in the UK, where I'm uh, running the UK Pinball Cup on the Sunday. Uh, it's always a, a nice, very laid-back, casual weekend um, held in a pub uh, with about you know, 12 to 14 pinball machines and uh, sort of sitting around, sitting in the garden, drinking beer, playing games, um, challenging each other every now and again, um, and just chilling out in the sunshine. So, And it's meant to be a good weekend for that, so we'll be doing a bit of that. Uh, and then a bit later, um, in um, the 24th, 25th, 26th of August, it's the UK Pin Fest where I'm helping to organise the UK Pinball Open and UK Pinball Cup, uh, sorry, UK Pinball Classic tournaments. I'm taking registrations for that at the moment um, on behalf of Peter Blakemore, who's actually the tournament director. That's available through tournaments.pinballnews.com. And uh, if you'd like to come along to to that show, that's the one where we're going to have um, Mike from... Um, Home pin. Home pin. They're talking about um, Thunderbirds. And we've also got um, the Kill Bill game from Dennis. Uh, Dennis Enderpass. Um, he's, he's bringing that there. And we'll be giving a seminar about it as well. Right. Um, so if you'd like to play in tournaments, uh, tournaments.pinballnews.com there. Um, having a quick look at the current status of it, we have um, about three places left. In in three of the no three places left in two of the slots, one place left in another, and eight in another. So that's out of forty in each of them. So there are not many places left. So you want to want to sign up for the tournaments, um, which we just announced today. What our prize package for that's going to be? It's going to be um, eighteen hundred pounds in cash. Wow! I might yes. want to practice my pinball skills. Uh, that's about well, about two thousand euros. Uh, $2,500 or $2,400 spread amongst the top 16 in each of those uh, with a maximum of 80. So if you you take part in a good chance of of winning some cash there as well as trophies. So that's what's keeping me busy at the moment besides uh, doing the Pinball News articles as well. Right. Uh, uh, Which also have been uh, interesting in the past few weeks but I won't go into those now because we talking for quite a long time for a month where we didn't think there was much to talk about right so but you did mention you wanted to you you put this up this article about the strong yes um that was an interesting one um there's a whole bunch of of archive material from williams bally uh which was when williams closed most of it was bought out by gene cunningham uh, as part of the illinois pinball purchase of um, basically the Williams assets. Uh, right. It's uh, part completed games, games in development, and a lot of documentation, paperwork, from um, basically the whole history of Williams and Bally. Because, uh, of course, Bally merged with Will- or Williams, took over Bally and acquired all that stuff as well. Um, now, that was with Gene, but Gene obviously ran into financial problems, so that was ended up being mostly sold, well, in fact, the paperwork was sold to James Laughlin of Pimple Inc., who over the past eight years has been going through it all and, or well, going through some of it. There's so much of it, he can't really go through it all, but it's been 
a real eye-opener for him, looking at exactly how the company uh, was was built, you know, the first, first games they built. There's, there's, there's whole folders of documentation right from game number one all the way through to the point at which they closed in 99. And um, interesting little notes in there like, um, from the game designers, from the from the mechanical designers, from the company owners, you know, making suggestions, tweaks, some games in there that were never developed. There's masses and masses of this stuff. And James came to realize there's just too much of it for him to realistically do anything with. He, it needs to be displayed. It needs to be uh, available for research. And he didn't have the space or the means to do that. So he very generously um, looked for somewhere um, to to donate it where it could all be made available and could be used in exhibits and um, really about the only place that was able to, to take over the, the whole mass of, of documentation and the entire archives was the Strong Museum in Rochester in New York, uh, which they have done and they are now working their way through it and will um, we'll make it available for people who want to uh, research into the history of uh, Williams Pinball and Bally Pinball, in addition to all the the great um, material they have on um, on Stern Pinball as well, and uh, Atari, and basically all, all the pinball manufacturers. Um, so that place is becoming a real sort of um, treasure trove of the entire history in paperwork of uh, pinball. Um, right. So... No, kudos to everybody involved in that. It's um, it's coming together really well there, and a lot of it will be made online as well. Um, some of it will end up in in exhibits, either online or, or physical exhibits. And if you, you know, if, if if you really want to go and, and research into into a particular game, you can make an appointment and go and, and and work your way through their their archives and see what they have. Right. Well, they got a lot because I remember that Williams a couple of years ago also donated to the Strong. That's right. Yeah, scientific games. Um, when they when they were sort of divesting themselves of the virtually the last bits of, of pinball, they they donated a whole bunch of, of well, basically the stuff which which wasn't uh, in James's possession. Uh, the stuff I'm worth mentioning the stuff that James had, which went via Gene. That was very largely the the work of Steve Cordek, who devoted his his last. I would say years, but probably decades, at, um, at Williams in, in ensuring that all this documentation was preserved and collated and sorted, and um, and he was the man responsible for making sure that that collection exists these days. Um, so um, his work continues long after after his death, and um, he, and people will be benefiting it for, from it for for decades and centuries. I would hope. So, does the Strong have a permanent uh, pinball exhibition, or are they? They do. Yeah, they have have at least one permanent um, history of pinball, um, pinball playfields ex exhibit. Um, but they will also um, hold many others as and when you know it comes up for rotation. They they don't have infinite space, but they will they will do themed exhibits, as I say both physically and online as well. And there's, there's a very interesting one at the moment. Um, if you read the article on People News, at the end of it, there's a link to uh, an online exhibit they've done with Google um, about pinball's history. So, and some lovely pictures in there, which um, which really do 
uh, really art evocative of the of the time when when they were taken. They they show how pinball was enjoyed and what the kind of place it had in in American society at the time. So I would recommend going and have a look at that. I will certainly. So. Uh... So that's uh, that's me, John. I think for for this this month. How about you? You got anything else you no, like to share with our listeners? I think uh, we covered everything and much more that there actually was to cover because <laughs> it was actually I thought it was a pretty slow month, and yet here we are talking for about an hour and a half. Yeah, funny how we always seem to manage to do that every time. Yeah, we should do radio. What <laughs> <laughs> try to make some money out of this? Yeah. No. Oh well, it's. Um, it's been been fun. Thank you for uh, for doing this again. Yes, thank you uh, for being here as well. And thank you to our listeners, uh, both of them, and um, and also thank you for for the kind words that you've uh, you've given and the suggestions on ways which we can uh, improve um, both content and technically. Um, we're hopefully, trying to get the sort of voice levels balanced and um, reduce background noise and all that kind of stuff um, from podcast to podcast. So um, when I was at the Seattle show, there were quite a few people looking out and said they really enjoyed listening to us and like the different perspective that we had on it as a, from a European point of view. And, uh, and yeah, we did have a, a couple of people also say, you know, it'd be nice if you could get the, the audio a little crisper and cleaner. So right. we've, uh, we've taken steps and Jonathan's, Jonathan's the audio guy and he's, uh, He's he's um, made an, um, some some tweaks and adjustments this time as well. So hopefully it's all all sounds a little little nice, a little crisper, and a little more uh, evenly balanced. Right. Okay. So um, I think there might be one more news item to briefly discuss um, that was brought up a couple of days ago. Christopher Franchi, the, uh, the graphic artist who did uh, Batman '66 and uh, what's the other one? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy mm, for yes. Stern Pinball. Um, he posted a uh, uh, announcement on Facebook where he basically said that he was leaving Pinball, at least that's the way I read it, and he was going to do movies. And mm. uh, people have been wondering about what that's all about. And um, I didn't see any other announcements, but I do see that. Uh, he is currently listed as a principal concept artist at Zynga Inc. And if I'm not mistaken, isn't that um, Joe Kamenkow's comic it company? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and Brian Eddy as well, of course. Yes. Working there. Um, so although could... it's also worth pointing out that that, that post he did on, uh, I think it was on Facebook, yes. uh, has since been deleted. Okay. So, um, no point going to search for it. But um, so I should just delete this part and. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, it's interesting, um, and not the first time that we thought that he was out of the pinball scene, only for him to uh, to reemerge as on, on the next project. Right. Uh, but also, also in the in the interest of um, spreading the love, I should mention that that he and Ed um, from um, Ed Van Der Veen Texas from the Pinball Texas Festival. Pinball Festival are going to be doing a podcast as well. Yes, between the two of them. So uh, I don't think the first one's out yet, but, uh, the, but that, that's it, coming up. Isn't it funny that how? Uh, okay, we're not the first to do a podcast, but <laughs> hardly. Um, 
but it is interesting to see how a good example does got good following. That's sort of a translation of a Dutch saying, but I hope it makes any uh, sense. I mean, when I started doing these monthly newsletters, all of a sudden somebody else figured, hey, I can do that every week. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're not the first to do a podcast, but we did get very good um, response on uh, our chemistry which uh, I think is uh, interesting. And uh, so it's, it's also interesting to see that uh, Ed and Christopher, who both have a great chemistry uh, uh, together as well, are going to do their own uh, podcast. And I wish them um, best of luck with it. I can't wait to hear it. Absolutely, yeah. We're looking forward to it as well. Yeah, so good luck to them with that. And uh, But from this particular podcast, I think we're, uh, we're kind of... Uh, covered everything for this month haven't we i think yeah more than yes and previous month and a bit of the next month so, so uh, is there anything uh, obviously it's now july um is there anything coming up that uh, is worth mentioning obviously for the pinball shows there's plenty of shows coming up check the pinball news diary on pinballnews.com that's that's easy but um in terms of new games, I don't think anything is happening right now. No, I don't think anything will be happening this month in terms of releases. Um, Although, maybe Chicago Gaming. Chicago, we, we never know. But uh, but that's not it won't be a new game. Well, whatever it is they announced, but it'll be new to us. But uh, no, I think uh, we, can, we can pretty much sit back and enjoy the summer. Uh, and not have to sit in front of our, our monitors all the time waiting for the, that uh, that email or that, that message to arrive with the latest release. Um, probably probably have a couple of weeks off, and then uh, look forward to to August really getting there, getting busier. Right. Okay. Well, then um, let's see if the next podcast can be one of less than thirty minutes. Okay. That that's the challenge. Come on, Pinball World, make sure nothing happens in the next month. <laughs> oh, well. So, um, we'll be back at the beginning of uh, August with a, uh, a recap of what happened in this month, July of 2018. And my name is Jonathan Houston, and I wish you a very pleasant continuation of your day. Bye-bye and, from me. And from me, Martin Ebb, have a great summer, or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, have a great winter. And we'll be back again next month. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.